Welcome to the South Canadian Valley Church of Christ podcast. Please enjoy the following study. Good morning. Again, we want to uh, give you a that you're here, particularly if you're visiting with us. Uh, that's an honor to us, a blessing to us, and we want to uh, ensure that you feel at home, that you're made to feel welcome. Um, a blessing for the church to be together, for us to help one another by being together as we praise God together. Remember Jesus, our Savior. Thank you for being part of this assembly. I'm different. And, and if you know me, um, you're, you're now sitting there saying, well, tell me something I didn't know, right? If you personally know me, you're thinking, uh, yeah, that's fairly obvious. But um, that, that's a confession I'll make, that um, if we let that sink in, that I'm different. It's simply a fact. I'm quite a bit unlike most of you in many of my behaviors, perhaps, in the my way of thinking, um, perspective, in lots and lots of other ways. Um, a different breed of cat, as some people call it. Um, I have my oddities. Uh, my idiosyncrasies. Yeah, I'm strange. I'm, I'm different. But if you'll allow me to flip the script for a second, probably if you were honest about yourself, there's maybe some of those same things you could say about you. That in each of our own ways, we have our differences, our distinctiveness, the things about us that make us us, the things that make us unique. We are not all precisely the same. Yet, in the Gospel of John, Jesus prayed for oneness for his people. That they may be one, like he and his Father are one. That the world might believe that God sent Jesus. So this immediately raises a question in my mind. I don't know about yours. But if God wanted us to be one, to be united, then... Why did he make us different? Right? It seems like it would have been easier if we just were all cookie cutter, all exactly the same. Then it would be simpler, perhaps, more conducive to being one and being united. So since Jesus prayed for unity, why didn't Jesus, the creator, go ahead and create us all alike? Why don't we all prefer the old hymns? Why don't we... Why doesn't everybody like all of the newer songs? Why couldn't we agree on all the important things, like how long is too long for a public prayer, or how long is today's sermon going to be, and should it be that long or not? And for those of you who miss and love potluck at church, the uh, eternal question, KFC, original or extra crispy, right? Because we don't all exactly see eye to eye on every single thing out there. There is no doubt that we have our differences, yet God wants us to be one. So let's explore this thing this morning that seems to be a contradiction in some ways. How can so many different folks truly be one? And what would that take? What would that look like? First off, let's establish from Scripture that God does in fact mean for his people, for the church to be one, to be united. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, 
the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes to the church in Corinth. And he says, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Now this seems to be, at the highest level, a, a great vision, a great idea, perhaps to take it a step further, an ideal what would be ideal or, or, or best um, in a utopian kind of sense of it, that everything would be like this. But I wonder why Paul writes this to the church in Corinth. Why does he say to them that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you? Well, you're way ahead of me because you've read on in verse 11 or you know it by heart. Because this is what the apostle goes on to write. For it has been declared to me, Concerning you, my brethren, that those of Chloe's house, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I, I, I maybe read more into this than is there, but I can just hear Paul as he writes, saying, what? Are, are you serious? Do you see what you're doing? Do you see how you're being? Do you see what's wrong here? Is Christ divided? No. Christ is not divided. Paul was making the point that to follow after and identify themselves with these men, these different men, was to divide themselves from Christ, to divide themselves from the truth of God's word. And let's just think for a minute of Paul, let's think for a minute of Cephas, Peter, two apostles named here in particular. If we just thought about them, think of Jesus picking 12 men to follow him, the apostles as we call them. Why didn't he pick 12 tax collectors? Why not 12 fishermen? And why Saul, a church destroyer, to later to become an apostle chosen by Christ for this work? Why all of these different people coming to this same task and responsibility, coming to be disciples of Christ, to spread the gospel. Well, Christ is the one that we see from this passage and the only one to whom we should all be aligned. There are to be no splinter groups. Relationship with Christ according to the word of God is what makes us one. So right off in this passage alone, it seems to me that we're to be united, joined together, and that Jesus is the one to whom we are pointed, all of us together, that makes this possible. But let's look at it in some other passages as well. In Galatians chapter 3, beginning in verse 26, the scripture says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Need I explain that? It says it loud and clear, straightforward terms that any of us could take at face value. You are one in Christ. No matter how you came to Christ, when you're baptized into Christ, you are made one by Christ. And these distinctions and these differences go away. How and why? We'll explore. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11 states it this way, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. The foundation 
for us. Christ is our common denominator, if you will. Christ is the one who brings us together. He makes us one. And Christ is our head. We read these passages this morning in Colossians. Thank you, Brother Dustin. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. So we see that Jesus not only is the one that brings us together, that makes us one, we're all one in Christ, but Christ is the head. Christ is the lead. Christ is the king. Christ is the master. And he should have the preeminence. In Colossians chapter 2, later in the same letter to the church, in verse 19, we are to hold fast to the head from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. So, I want to notice two things that we just see in the book of Colossians in these two verses. Number one, Jesus is the head. And, because of that, by really extension, then there must be a body. Jesus is the head of the church, which is his body, and the body is to hold fast to the head. And the head has preeminence, has authority. So when we think about the headship, as we sometimes say it, Jesus being the lead, the king, the master, the, the head, there is no doubt whatsoever that God wants to make it plain and clear to you and me that he is talking about authority. There is no other name but Jesus. Jesus is head and authority over all of us, over the church. However, I believe we see that there's more to this relationship than it is just authority and those who follow the lead of the head. There's this connection. We are to hold fast to the head, be connected together. Body connected to its head. Because in our own physical bodies, there are so many things that flow from the head, right? Our heart pumps because the brain is telling it to somehow. I don't understand it, right? But feet move because our, our mind thinks it and, and directs them. We're all connected. All of these members of our physical body are individually doing what the brain says and collectively doing what the head says. They're of the same mind and the same judgment because it all comes from the head. It tells us what to do and how to do it. The same with the church. It should be. This is how we have the same mind and the same judgment because we let Jesus, the head, do the thinking. Do the directing. Do the guiding and leading. What if the body had no head? I know it's a weird thing to even consider. And, and I always thought it was really strange. My mom and dad used to always say stuff to me like, you look like you're running around with a chicken with, like a chicken with its head cut off. And I'd never experienced that. I'm glad to say to this day, I've never actually seen that in person. But some of you have. Some of you have butchered chickens, right? You've, so that they could be eaten. And so, as I understand it, when you cut the head off of a chicken, that it might go and flutter and flap for a little while before it falls over and keels over and dies. That's my understanding. Again, haven't witnessed it. But that's the old saying, right? Like a chicken with, running around with its head cut off. Listless. Going crazy. All over the place. No plan. A mess. And it's going nowhere and it's going to die and it's going to fall over and that's it. 
So the body without the head, that's, that's what it would be like. It would be pointless. It wouldn't have direction. But the church, the body, needs Jesus, the head. One author said this, Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. That's what brings them together, is their connection to the one standard, not to each other. So we are one in Jesus. He's the one that pulls us up and brings us together because he's our leader, master, our head. But let's talk about the body. Let's go on further. What does that mean for you and me as members of a body connected to Jesus the head? 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 12. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. And this is how we started. Our differences, right? We are many. We are part of the body, the church but many members. But Christ is one and the body is to be one and we are to be connected together in this way. And just like we saw in Galatians, the reference here again is that lots of people enter the body with these distinctions, this uniqueness, differences, if you will. Right? Some were Jews before, some were Greeks, some were slaves, some were free, some were whatever those things are. Before, these were our distinctions, but Somehow, Jesus brings us together as one. And this is the purpose, the mission, the intention. Yes, as the body, as the church, there is strength in numbers. Yes, we talk about that idea of strength in numbers often. Yet, let's remember that our diversity is also our strength. And this has been given to us. By God. This is God's plan and purpose for the church. Many members being one. It takes us all. The body is not one member, but many. Diversity is certainly not just about race and ethnicity. In our world today, when people say diversity, often that's what everyone thinks about probably at its highest level. And certainly that's one piece of this. Those are things that make you and me distinct and different and unique. But that isn't the only measure of diversity. It's young, it's old, it's male, it's female, it's Jew, it's Greek, it's people who grew up in the church and maybe who didn't grow up in the church who were in the church. It's, it's all that. It's every possible way that you might think about things that make us different and unique and distinct. That is diversity. Those are all good things because what we do is we lay those things aside and we line up under Christ. Many members, yet one. And there is richness in our differences. There is richness in our diversity and strength. And I'm just going to call it like it is right here. Praise God that you all don't think exactly like I do on every single thing. I knew that would get at least one amen. I figured it would be Mark Woody, but I knew Mark Woody wasn't going to be here today. God bless you, brother. Um, 
And that's okay. That's okay if we're all thinking like Christ, right? We may get there different ways. We may have different approaches, different perspectives, but we arrive at the same place. So what you're not trying to do is line up the way Craig thinks or the way someone else here thinks. What we're doing is we're lining up with the way Christ thinks. Our differences complement each other. We need each other. You've heard the, the old phrase, the saying, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. And this simply means that the group is better than you would expect if you just looked at each individual part because the way they combine, it adds a quality that couldn't be achieved by one or two or three alone. But together, wow, they're cooking with gas, right? That's, that's going someplace. That's this richness, this fullness. In Ephesians chapter 2, the Bible says in verse 19, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. I actually like how the King James Version puts this in verse 21. In whom the whole building being joined together. You know, from the King James, it says, fitly framed together. And, and that's kind of a word picture that sticks in my head. It, it gives me a sense of what it is that we're talking about here. Organized compactly. Kind of put together, right? Building stones that are flush and fit together. There aren't any gaps. There aren't any holes. There aren't any divisions. Different materials may be used, and one part is like this, and one is like that, but they connect together to create this whole structure, this building, as it talks about in Ephesians chapter 2, which is the church, which is us. That's what is being imagined here. That is what be, is being envisioned here. That is what we're told. This is the pattern. Go do that. Be like that. It's the same in the church. The different materials, Jews and Gentiles, people of all nations and backgrounds coming together when before they were separated, but now united in harmony. And it's all due to us being formed into the image of God's Son, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone. He joins us together. You see this in whom the whole building being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Aligned with Christ, the chief stone, we are all aligned one to another and fitly framed together. Aligned with Christ, we all grow and mature together is what this passage teaches also. Aligned with Christ, we become something greater that we could, have, that we could ever be on our own. Yes, each one of us has a responsibility as a member of the body to grow spiritually, to mature. I can't do that for you. That's your job. Okay, you ought to take that very seriously. That's an immense responsibility, and it's yours and yours alone, right? Yet, as many members of the body, when each member is maturing and growing spiritually, growing up, if you will, right, maturing, at the same time, this passage teaches us that this is something that, that helps grow us together, because this is both individual and collective work. This is member work and body work. We've come together as a body today to be built up together. 
You don't come here alone. You didn't come to a building by yourself and sit in a pew by yourself and go, I'm going to be built up by others today. No, you'd be alone. You wouldn't have that opportunity. This is one of many examples of how the members come together to grow together as we individually are trying to grow up and mature, but we grow together. And that's part of the reason for the body connected to the head. Is the choir better when one of the members works hard and practices and improves? Well, yes. The overall choir is better because that one person gave extra effort. But is the choir all the more holistically better when multiple or say all members of the choir simultaneously are practicing hard and working to improve? Yes, infinitely more. Same with the church. The same with the members of the body. You and me. Ephesians chapter 3. Let's go on in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that He would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Praise God, this is what He's given us in the church. This is the plan. This is the intention. This is the ideal. But this is attainable when we submit to the head. When we submit to Christ individually and certainly collectively. And I love how in this passage that the apostle, as he prays over the church, if you will, at Ephesus, that he has this idea in mind of the whole family in heaven and earth. We're not just talking about members of the local body, this congregation, the body of believers in this place. We're, we're talking about all of it, and it's grand, and it's immense. And it's a blessing. The whole family that gives us this idea of connection and relationship that's important in all of this. And he says that we are to be rooted and grounded in love. And I couldn't help but think about the passage in Jeremiah. It's Jeremiah 17 if you want to look at it sometime. I'll paraphrase it. The one who trusts in the Lord is like a tree planted by the water. It spreads out its roots by the river. It doesn't fear when the heat comes. It's not anxious during the drought. And it continues to be fruitful. Why does that tree have that kind of life? Well, it's rooted, right? It's grounded. It says the one who trusts in the Lord is like this tree that's planted by the waters that spreads out its roots. And that made me think of the Sequoia Redwoods. A lot of you have seen them before. I never have. But I've read about them. And the idea of these massive, massive trees. And what's Somewhat different about them is their roots aren't nearly as deep as you might think they are for being such massive trees. Part of their stability is that their roots are intertwined. 
underground, especially with this system and series and network of other sequoia redwoods and other trees and other plants around that in some sense what they do is they hold each other up as they reach down. As members of Christ's body, we all are planted by the same water, the living water, Jesus. That's where we gain our nourishment. That's where we gain what we need, everything we need to be able to grow. And our roots are to run deep, but they also should intertwine. We help each other hold up together, linked together, arm in arm. I love this thought that we have here in Ephesians chapter 3 that we may be able to comprehend with all the saints. What is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God? This is body work. Each member, yes, but this is collective work that we comprehend with all the saints. And I'm not talking about just all the saints who are on Zoom and listening on Mixler and sitting in here and in there. I'm talking about all the saints, all the saints that we can comprehend with all the saints. This isn't something I can unilaterally do on my own. I need all the saints. I need other saints. I need other members. And I want to think just kind of as an example, as an illustration of this. I want to think of what the Proverbs say. Proverbs eleven fourteen, where there is no counsel, the people fall, but in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. The other proverb that we'll note that mentions this, and there are others. Proverbs 15, 22, without counsel, plans go awry, but in the multitude of counselors, they are established. So we see this idea in Scripture, these proverbs, these wise sayings that tell us, right, you might be able to get there on your own and you might even come up with some good ideas and it might even work out. But guess what? You're better off if you had a multitude of people helping you. If you had a whole team of counselors, people you can bounce ideas off, you can learn from, you can ask for their wisdom, maybe gain from their actual experience in this thing that you're thinking about or trying to decide. And that's a principle we see in Scripture. And when I think of that, I certainly immediately think of my brothers in Christ at this place. Praise God for those of you who are committed to learning and knowing the Word of God and sharing from your hearts with passion and purpose God's will for His church from His Word. What a blessing. And I've talked with many of you before about this. When we hear one of our brothers teach us, and share with us how wonderful, how rich and full we are because we have these multiple teachers who pour into this. Men with multiple talents and abilities and perspectives and styles and life experiences and hairdos and all of those things, right? All of this diversity, all of this difference, but one. Because of the standard. The standard is Jesus. The standard is the Word. The standard is God's will in our lives. And now, 
if you're not familiar with us here in this place, I want to point something out to you. We don't have multiple teachers because we can't afford to pay a preacher. So let me just make sure that you don't misunderstand. That's not why we have multiple teachers. It's purposeful. It's based in Scripture. We see these principles, but we see these examples in the New Testament church. In Acts chapter 13 and verse 1, now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. In 1 Corinthians 14, as we read about the assembly of the church, when the church comes together, it was common, it was customary, it was tradition, certainly in that place at that time, let two or three prophets speak and the others judge, that these inspired speakers would come and share as the church came together, and more than one. We know that in 1 Corinthians 14, they had to, Paul was regulating the assembly. It got a little chaotic, it sounds like, at times in Corinth, because so many people had thoughts and ideas and they were sharing it. And he said, let all things be done decently and in order, right? So let's have some order to it. So in this place, generally speaking, we have one speaker when we come together on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night. Not multiple, but we could. Scripture says that we could have two or three if that's how the elders decided to do that according to God's word. That would be just fine because the the thing that we're trying to get across here that we comprehend with all the saints, I gain from your perspective. I gain from the way in which you approach Scripture and see that maybe in a way that I've never thought about it. And when you open my eyes to this and you help me see it in a way that you've seen it, all of a sudden it's rich and full. The strength of our diversity. This is one of many examples. And we see in Scripture that elders are talked about in multiplicity. Deacons are talked about in multiplicity because we don't need one. We need many. We need the members of the body all tied to the head, all aligning and pointing us to Jesus so that we are rich and full in everything that God imagined for His church. We see this New Testament principle over and over Back to the book of Ephesians in chapter 4, verse 11. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Praise God that I see that in this place. Praise God that you participate in that in this place. Members doing their share. And I'm not limiting that to who stands up on the, on the pulpit on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night. Not in any way. Because this doesn't matter. Jew, Greek, male, female, slave, or free. Doesn't matter where you come from. When you come to the church, you bring something to the church that other saints need. Brothers and sisters, you are absolutely important. You make this a body. And we grow together, build up the edifying of itself in love, right? Rooted and grounded in love is what we read in Ephesians, comprehending with all the saints. This is what we do together. 
This is body work with members doing their parts. Every joint supplying what is needed for the effective working which every part does its share. We're held together by what every joint supplies as we are connected to our head. It takes every single one of them. It takes all. It takes you. Every part does its share or every part working properly. Just like our physical body, every member, all the members matter. That causes growth of the body. And we're built, it builds itself up. The body builds itself up in love. Connected to Jesus. So I want to tell you something about the world in which we live. Even in this sad and sinful world that we're surrounded by, there are countless thousands upon thousands of people with honest hearts who long for peace. They long for a society that is civil. They long for unity. And with so many different ideas of how we might bring all together as a people and to promote this type of environment that they envision, well, how could that possibly be achieved? We're so different. How could we take all this diversity and somehow find unity? How can we find one out of the many? It's Jesus. It's, it's his church. It's his body. Where we all, of, all follow Jesus, the head, as he leads. So if you want to help your world, you need to grow spiritually as an individual. But you need to make sure that you're helping the church grow. You need to think of the body and how together we can model what it is that our world desperately needs and know they need. We are one, but we're not the same. We are united yet distinct. And let's use this strength for the kingdom's good. I leave you with these passages. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you are called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Romans 15, verses 5 and 6. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's beautiful. One mind, one mouth, glorify God. How we function as a body, different but one, following Christ our head, tells a story. What story are you telling? I pray that we're built up and strengthened and challenged and convicted and we go from here with a renewed purpose 
a renewed sense of what God wants for each of us and what God wants for the church. God bless you in every effort that you make to carry out this ideal, which is God's word, which is attainable through Jesus. And we can do this together. Thank you for your attention. Thank you for being here. At every time that we assemble together, we offer the Lord's invitation to the one who might need Jesus, who has not followed him as their head, perhaps. We said, we read earlier in Galatians chapter 3 that as many of you who were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And you're all made one in Christ because of that. If you've not been baptized for the remission of your sins, the forgiveness of sins that we read about, that comes about by the blood of Jesus, to be baptized, to have your sins washed away, to follow His death, His burial, and resurrection, and to follow Him the rest of your life. If you've not done that, we pray that you would make that commitment today. Or if there's one that needs prayer, that we can pray together with you on your behalf so that we might be strengthened together. If you have a need, please come forward as we stand and sing. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. For further information about our church, please go to normanchurch.com, normanchurch.com, normanchurch.com.